Inside Books with Breda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breda Brown and in each episode of Inside Books we chat to people associated with the world of books, including well-known authors, publishers, editors, agents, critics, booksellers and more. You'll find Inside Books on all of the main platforms and our Twitter handle is at InsideBooksIRE where you'll also find lots of other interesting books news. My guest today is Enda O'Kneen, a successful entrepreneur, publisher and sailor. He's a founder of Kilcullen Capital Partners, an investment platform for a range of sectors including hospitality, renewable energy, property and technology. In addition to his business and sailing life, Enda is also a writer, a publisher and the author of five books. He wrote for the Irish Times early in his career and later founded a number of magazines including Afloat. Most recently, he invested in the Business Post newspaper. Enda, you've been in business since an early age and very successfully so, but it's obvious from your CV that writing was also and is also a passion. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've always kind of worked on my own. Uh, uh, truth be known, I'd never give myself a job, so I had to create. <laughs> I had to create my own job. Yeah, look at. Um, I finished college and I sailed across the Atlantic in a boat, and I travelled to the United States. And uh, when I was twenty-one, I had worked in a life raft factory, and I developed the concept of a sailing life raft. The traditional school of thought is that a ship goes down and you wait in the one place for rescue. So I had designed the concept of a, a dinghy where you could sail yourself to rescue. So to accelerate forward, um, somebody bet I wouldn't cross the Atlantic in it. And being from the west of Ireland, if somebody said white is black, you'll set out to prove that uh, black is white. You the, took the, the bet. Abs- at the reverse. So anyhow, long story, uh, I ended up uh, crossing the Atlantic, had some incredible adventures. I was in a pub one night, as <laughs> one is, and uh, I met the then editor of the Irish Press. And uh, after I'd finished my transatlantic, uh, the Sunday Press had wanted me to write about the adventure. And I wrote about 20,000 words. Really? And they published, it was in the old broadsheets. And that's a long time ago now. They had 350,000 copies every Sunday. And I kind of did it myself. You know, I was just, I told the story. And it was quite an adventure. And Tim Pat Coogan uh, had read it and realised it wasn't ghostwritten. And he said, you'll come and work for the Irish Press, won't you? So I ended up as a, he said, you'll write a column for me about boats. I didn't even know what a newspaper column was. <laughs> so I ended up uh, working for the Irish Press and then moved across to the Irish Times. And how long did you do that for the Irish Press? Um, I would have done it for about three or four years at the Irish Press. I was a sub-editor and I wrote a column about boats. But really the readership was in Donegal and Kerry. And I learned subsequently that the reason Tim Pat Coogan did it was his commercial side were looking to try and move the paper into the more AB1 type readership would be interested in yachting and all that good stuff. So, And then I moved across as the Irish Times yachting correspondent. And in the interim... The 20,000 Words uh, became a book which the bodily head, Jonathan Cape, published. And it was called The Unsingable Kilcullen. Kilcullen was an old family surname and it was the name of my boat. So I was a kind of an accidental author. I had a story to tell. I'd never had great literary aspirations. And did Jonathan Cape approach you or did you approach them? They approached me. I think if I had approached them, like a zillion other authors, they'd have told me to get lost. Uh, But somebody had heard about the story and they contacted me. And how did you feel about it? Um, well, I didn't like the idea of an English publishing company. You know, it was a different Ireland. So 
uh, as long as the printing of the book was done in Ireland and as long as it was produced in Ireland, which they agreed to do because they outsourced it. So, um, yeah, that was called The Unsinkable Kilcullen. And it was about my trip through the Caribbean, across the States. And uh, so that started me. I became an author. But really, I had a story to tell. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, I had no great literary aspirations. And fortunately, more by accident than design, I, I got a reasonably good training uh, with the Irish Press as a sub-editor and as a journalist. And then I, I wrote for the Irish Times. And when did you decide to set up a float then, the magazine? <laughs> well, there was a, another publisher uh, called uh, doing another boating magazine, and I'd written for them, and they didn't pay me. Oh, and not the good. Truth, well, look, it, it was a tiny market. There were more boats in a marina in Britain than there were in all of Ireland. So, so why did you go down that route? I mean, it is a niche audience. It was no economic logic to it. It made no sense. Right at all. <laughs> no sense whatsoever. And I remember. Uh, I think it was my third issue of a float magazine. And uh, I used to write it, take the pictures, do the layout and design, and you'd get it to the printer at six in the morning. And yachting magazines are very boring. So, you know, the way you design the front cover of a book. So uh, I put a big headline, Sex at Sea. And it was a sellout. (laughs) Of course it was. I'm not surprised. And, And you opened page, the contents page, and you saw... It was a little eight-point type, the headline, Sex at Sea, see page 56 or whatever. There were about 60 pages. So you were at a newsagent, so you went to page 56 and there was a little small type, Sex at Sea. Um, If you're reading this, we really are a very respectable family magazine, uh, but we caught your attention. Please buy us. (laughs) It was a sellout. And hopefully they bought the next one as well. Yeah, that was my third issue of the magazine. So so you learnt... You know, uh, but, you know, it was a a conservative, it was middle-aged old men who had the money to buy boats and it was grown men's toys. And it was a very, very small market. So there was no economic logic to it, but I I really put me in at the deep end of of publishing. But it's still going. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's... That's uh, 30 years ago now. Right, so there's obviously still still a market. Actually, it's more. It's it's a float magazine. I founded it about 35 years ago. And all your books have been pretty much around sailing, haven't they? Uh, The Maritime, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, the book I did before this one was called The Unsinkable Entrepreneur. So it talked about my business experience, mainly in Central and Eastern Europe, arriving after the communists had left and starting businesses from scratch, and uh, so they were mostly about business, uh, but I, the maritime theme has been very strong. Another book was Sail Ireland. Uh, we built a boat uh, and we did the Whitbread Around the World race uh, representing Ireland. So it was about our trip around the world. And, um, you know, so they've had a maritime theme to them. Running through it. And on The Unsinkable Entrepreneur, again, it it was more about you, though, and your story and a bit more of a memoir. So was that slightly different? Yeah. You know, I, I, I my background was maritime and adventure. People would know me from, you know, uh, uh, sailing around the world or crossing the Atlantic in small boats. Uh, so I wrote The Unsinkable Entrepreneur. It was really for a few reasons. One is... I was developing an expertise in investment and investment management. I had had a 
company that we had sold and made a good bit of money and we were reinvesting that in a venture capital fund. So the unsinkable entrepreneur was sharing my experiences in early stage startups and running businesses. So I was moving from the the maritime writer to being a, a business writer. And why did you do that? Was it because you thought maybe there was a lack of books in, in sort of business writing? <laughs> it's a, or it's a good point. Um, or was there any reason? <laughs> yeah, and I wrote The Unsinkable Entrepreneur. I actually picked up a book on entrepreneurship and it had mathematical formulas in it. Right. And generally it's true, no disrespect to those who are listening who teach, but those who can't do teach. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, business is coalface, you know, and, and I felt the books on entrepreneurship were a lot of guff, uh, some really good ones. So, you know, I've founded, I think, probably over 15 different businesses and uh, it was from the coalface, you know. So, so and, and the unsinkable entrepreneur, it did quite well. It actually went into three languages. I was in the uh, state publishing house in Shanghai and there was about 20 floors and uh, they were thinking of publishing it. It's been translated to Czech, but they were looking at translating it to Chinese. And they, in the end, they decided not to. And I only learned later, there was a chapter on the transformation from communism to capitalism. It wasn't going to appeal <laughs> to them. I told the story and it was a tremendous experience because when I arrived in Czechoslovakia, then it became the Czech Republic and it was a communist country. So I wrote about that transition uh, from being a centrally planned economy to being a capitalist economy. And they weren't quite ready for that yet. So uh, it never got translated to Chinese, but they were, <laughs> they were interested. Your latest book then is Journey to the Edge, which again is about, is about sailing, but it's still a lot of lessons in there about entrepreneurship. Did you feel you'd unfinished business around that? Well, no, uh, Journey to the Edge... Uh, it's about my trip around the world in a 60-foot boat. I'd been involved in organising the Volvo Ocean Race in Galway. I was chairman of the organising committee that managed and organised the race. And it had connected me in a wonderful way with Ireland. But guys my age shouldn't do what I did. But it was a dream and I was in awe of the people who did it uh, to sail solo around the world. So Journey to the Edge is about that trip sailing single-handed around the world, but it's actually not really a maritime story. It's more of a journey through life, so it's a metaphor for life itself. And I had some amazing adventures. Uh, even now I look back on it, it's it's very surreal. Did I do that shit? But, but Journey to the Edge, uh, and I, each chapter, I think... We're all learning, and I think people want to learn from a book, uh, particularly if it's non-fiction, and they want to learn from your experiences. So from each of the things that happened, such as losing my mast uh, uh, 200 miles south of South Island, New Zealand, between there and the Antarctic, crossing the international date line, you know, that was a very dramatic and traumatic experience. So there was a lot of learnings from that. And then in New Zealand, uh, we fixed the boat, and I circumnavigated New Zealand and it was fascinating to talk about New Zealand and particularly the learnings from raising sponsorship uh, for various round the world projects. So there's a lot of learnings from it and I think particularly a non-fiction book, it, it's not a biography but people wanted to learn and I was honoured to share those learnings. And I like the format of it because you put in the lessons sort of at the end of each chapter at Correct. each stage. So why did you decide to do it that way? 
Um, it just seemed like a good idea. <laughs> I, again, because it's, I want to learn. You know, we're, uh, we never stop learning until we're dead. Do you, do you know what I mean? So, so, and and if if I want to learn from other people's experience, and I think that that's what a good book is, where you're you're, you're entertained and you learn, and and uh, so that was the idea at the end of each chapter. And it keeps you reading to the next chapter then as well. well I'm delighted and flattered <laughs> to say that. But one of the ones I really liked, one of the lessons was you said you always thought that being an entrepreneur and taking risks was a young person's game. But now you say it's almost the opposite. Well, actually, statistically, uh, the greatest percentage of entrepreneurs are people between uh, 55 and 65. The greatest percentage of successful entrepreneurs. You would think, you know, there's two stages. You're, you're in your early 20s and you've nothing to lose. Uh, but you get to that age and invariably, you know, if you're a man or a woman, you've, you've reared your family uh, or not, as the case may be. Uh, you've paid off your mortgage, perhaps. Uh, you've learnt a lot. Um, and statistically, nine out of ten new enterprises fail. So it was quite invigorating to really realise that when you look at successful enterprises and a lot of real entrepreneurship, it's actually older people. Now, you wouldn't necessarily think that that's the case, but actually when you look at the statistics, it is the case. But you talk about risk an awful lot in the book as well, and there's absolutely no doubt that you're a risk taker. So maybe is it just your experience as opposed to some other experiences? No, it's not. I think you can trace the development of civilization directly, and I address this. There's a whole chapter in the book about risk. You know, think about it 500 years ago. Up to then, it was the lap of the gods. Shit happens, man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it really wasn't the lap of the gods. Whole civilizations were wiped out. You know, a ship may sail and it may be lost. And there may be a whole village or family or community wiped out by the loss of that ship. But one in 20 ships might have got lost. So it was the advent of probability theory. So if you make 20 voyages, there's a chance that one in 20, the ship may get lost. So you have somebody who understands probability theory and you can take an insurance policy. So it is only the advent of insurance and risk that if the ship got lost, it wouldn't wipe out an entire family or an entire community. So you can d directly correlate the development of civilization with the development of our understanding of risk. Do you see what I'm saying? So the book, I, I did a whole chapter on that. Now, risk can be quite a boring subject, but but I think I put some real life into it. You know, hunter-gatherer, caveman. Uh, the, 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 if, if the caveman didn't go out and take the risk to try and capture and kill the animal, he didn't eat. Do you see what I'm saying? You know, so correlating, and that's, one of the fundamental reasons why society has developed so fast. It was the understanding of risk, like whole empires disappeared. So so, so risk is a very important part. Uh, and I found it, you know, it, quite a dry subject when I looked at it first, when you're looking at mathematical formulas. But when you humanise it and make it relevant to today's living. So something I address in the book quite strongly is and people don't quite get it. But it's kind of like George Orwell in a slow, creepy rail. Society, it's like, you know, helicopter parents. Kids can't climb trees anymore mm -hmm. because they can't take the risk. So it's all about control. It's about 
they're bringing in all these rules and regulations ostensibly about safety, but it's actually about control. So we should be less risk averse or is it about calculated risk? We've become much less risk averse. So I would argue it's kind of gone the other way that uh, and that's a theme in Journey to the Edge that I address. I, I took what some people would think incredible risk, but I wouldn't be sitting here today if it wasn't calculated risk. Do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. But that was my decision. Uh, but, you know, the rules of society, you know, what I did was technically illegal because you're supposed to keep watch. It's, you know, I was breaking the law. I took a risk, but that was my judgment. It would have been wrong if I had put other people through that without their control. You know, society must protect itself. So it's a very fundamental point, you know, if you take Brexit and it's never been analysed, the British were rebelling against rules and regulations Mm -hmm. that were not necessary and they were done ostensibly in the name of risk and safety, but it was really about control. Look at the rioting, look at the rioting in Hong Kong. It's really, they could see it was ostensibly about uh, an extradition treaty, but you, you don't get, you know, if you if you don't have enough social points, you won't get your passport. You get points against you. That's how they're controlling. They're making rules and regulation. So the rebellion in Hong Kong is because through social media and communication, young people can see it. Their freedoms are being taken away. So I had the freedom and the privilege of command of a boat like that. And it was an incredible machine sailing around the world. So that's a theme I harp on in the book. So the book, as it says, ostensibly is about going around the world in a boat, describing that. But it's really a journey through life and hence the name Journey to the Edge, pushing the boundaries. And we need to always push the boundaries. And you do, absolutely, in, in terms of the book and in terms of business life. But in terms of writing the book, when did you do it? Did you do some of it when you were on the boat or did you do it afterwards? Uh, the rules of the race, the solo around the world race, was that you had to keep a log every day and more by accident than design, and you had to relay that back to race headquarters. Because I was trained as a journalist and writing, I was able to describe my experiences and a bit of lateral thinking. So I was a sportsman. So those logs were the basis of the book. And when I finished the round the world trip, I said, that's it. I was moving on. But it was only about six or eight months later that I realised I had all of that content and a lot of good pictures. So I went off uh, to Thailand for three weeks and I wrote the book. In three was, weeks? Yeah, well, it was wow. pulling together. It wasn't from scratch. It was pulling together a lot of logs, a lot of things over a period of time. And I think I find it better. It takes a while to get into the mood, get into the flow of it. Do you see what I'm saying? Because stop, start is very fragmented. So I find I just had to go away and 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 I think a good, it's, the journey is you cannot describe everything but it's like uh, you, you you get on a train and you have a fast trip to the next station. You stop at that station and you get off and you describe everything in intimate detail and then you get on the train again and you go to the next point. To do blow by blow of a going around the world would be quite boring. Blow by blow to describing all the things were happening. So I honed in, you know, I was trying to spell sell sponsorship 
to DHL, one of the largest companies in the world, and I got arrested by the German police. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, what I'm saying is... Why does that not surprise me? Yeah, so so again, it, it was... So this is, as I ostensibly, but the, the journey is... So so the story tells itself, you know, and, and, and you're trained in journalism to, you know, it's the facts. And, and uh, it's, it's, it, it is a... But the facts speak for themselves. And when you went away to Thailand to pull it together, did you have a publisher at that point? Uh, no. So you, you've completed the book and then went looking for the publisher. Yeah, I've always not had a problem, you know. Uh, uh, it's a very good uh, niche publisher. Um, um, PJ Cunningham. Uh, Ballpoint Press, Ballpoint Press. A niche publisher and he understood it and he was willing to take the risk on it. And also because I had a background in publishing, I was able to help the process considerably and also help them reduce the risk. And uh, um, so I'm quite pleased. Uh, PJ and his brother Eddie did a brilliant job editing it because you always need somebody independent uh, to go through it. And because it was my fifth book, I'd sort of knew my way around that. And I think it's the best I've done, even if I say so myself. And uh, um, but yeah, as I said, it's 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 more than just a, a boat trip, obviously. And speaking of publishing, then you've recently invested in the Business Post newspaper. Now, some might say you're mad because they would say that the newspaper industry is dying. Well, I've have every aspiration to sanity. Yes, uh, <laughs> they say the newspaper model is broken. The newspaper model is not broken because if it's broken, it means you can fix it. You can't fix it. It's a different model. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, so we invested in the Business Post. We, it's the only Irish-owned newspaper on a Sunday. It's got a very talented group of journalists. It's got a very good commercial team. And it was sort of drifting. So we reinvented that as a digital platform, mobile-first digital platform that happens to have a very successful print product. So reimagine that as an events business, business service and media business and we're in that journey and it's that technology platform but as people have learned with books you know they were saying years ago the book is dead but publishing a book whether it's on Kindle it's all about the content and the business post uh, is all about trusted independent content so we could see that potential but it's a different model now uh, publishing media and entertainment are the first of the big industries to be disrupted. And the books industry is massively disrupted, but it's actually come back in a different way. Mm-hmm. So the book is written, it's the same skill set, you know, if it's, if it's online, digital, or if it's a, a voice-activated book. So, you know, people are still dyed in the wool, there's nothing like the printed book. But that's, you know, the younger generation, and that's quite interesting with the Unpost Book Awards, the readership profile is actually quite young. Do you see what I'm saying? So so that's a reinvention uh, of knowledge and its decimation. But it is very challenged. And of course, we're challenged by fake news and there's a huge amount of clutter out there. It's the, the wonderful Wild West. So we've invested in the Business Post, but not just the Business Post. We've, we've taken over Irish Tatler magazine. We've taken over Auto Ireland magazine. And, and we're building a new business model built around content, built around trusted independent journalism that's respected and the business post brand has revolutionized you know we've we've got to get ireland working but we're not restricted geographically anymore we're not 
restricted by the physical print. Though we'll keep print as long as people want it. You know, we can be truly global and yet ultimately local. So it's not a dissimilar to to the book publishing industry. And I think and I think the resurgence in books is still a tough business. But I, I think and, and I think that's an interesting sort of uh, analogy. And what about book publishing though because would it be a natural extension for you guys to set up a, a publishing arm of the business? Absolutely. Well, we are. I mean, um I think we're we're under serious discussions with the uh on post book awards. I mean, it's bizarre. There was no business book category. So we we hope to correct that. Now, are there enough business books published in Ireland? Well, you know, what is a business book if it's an autobiography about success somebody who's made his money in business? Uh, you know that is a business book. You know it's learning. So so we challenged, and uh, I I was honoured to go along and very impressed by the Irish Book Awards. And I think it's a tremendous coming together of the book industry to collectively come together, and it's a very good model. So to me, that was you know it was it was like a an elephant in the room. Bizarre. There was no business book. You know, and all publishing is about business. And and face it. You know, people think of business as something very narrow, but actually business is about management. It's about organization. It's 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 a, it's, it's the whole nonfiction category. So so and I think it's, it's what brought us together here for this podcast. And, and I'm an entrepreneur and I saw that. And uh, I've also been out of Ireland a lot. So it's a great privilege to come back and work in Ireland. And, and you know, th- th- by doing the business post, it would be a logical extension. A lot of our, you know, Michael Brennan just did an excellent book with Mercier on Irish water. Um, and uh, so there's a lot of very good content there. So whether we partner with other publishers or do it ourselves, I think we work a lot in partnership. So, so uh, and that's why I think, you know, that the industry is very strong in Ireland, but it shouldn't be in Ireland. It should be Irish books sold around the world. Internationally, absolutely. And what's next on your own writing agenda? (laughs) I've kind of done five kind of, uh, uh, and and when you're trained in media and journalism, it's about what happened to the facts. I'd love to go off to Thailand again and or some such place and do a fiction book. And uh, About what? Well, it's be kind of a trilogy. Uh, my great grandfather left East Galway and found gold in California. He was a Klondike man. He was one of the very few who came back. And I think his story is an extraordinary story, but I'd like to fictionalise it. He came back to Galway in 1879 and opened a pub and it's called the Rabbit's Pub and it's still there. It was an English civil servant in Galway at the time, so any Irish-sounding names went to English. So you had the Rabbit's Bar, you had the Salmon's Bar, you had the Fox's Bar, and you had the Badger's, and the Hares lived up the road. And they were all lovely Irish surnames, which went back to the closest English equivalent. And my great-grandfather couldn't read nor write, but he had enough gold. My father talked about seeing the little nuggets of gold. And it was a family pub, I mean, there were grocers, you know, shopkeepers, pub, and they did a bit of undertaking. They were the last people to let you down. So it's quite a fascinating story. And why a trilogy, though? Well, I'd kind of do it. Would you not fit it all into one, no? No, no, because there'd be three generations. Right. I have a son called Cormac, and he was called Cormac. So maybe I'd like to have, do his life, a bit of historical fiction, and then uh, do the next generation. And then the next one would be myself, potting around in boats 
and I've had some extraordinary adventures but I think if you can do fiction you can let your imaginations run if you like so and uh, I'd love that concept I'm not sure if anybody would want to read it but I would enjoy doing it and I think that's the lovely thing about going away and doing a book you know being on newspaper or television it's grand but it's like at one night stand <laughs> you have the crack and you make the best of it but a book is like getting married if it's good enough it's, it's around for the long time so it's the long term relationship so and I, I like that concept and, and like Journey to the Edge it was closure to me uh, you move on and I was privileged to have done that round the world adventure and by doing Journey to the Edge Really, I'd done enough books. I wasn't interested in doing it, but it was only when people said I should, I should. And I'm now delighted to have done it and honoured to be talking to you on this uh, uh, podcast about my experience as well, a publisher. Well, Enja and we look forward to seeing the fiction book on the bookshelves soon at some point. Thank you for joining us here on Inside Books and you'll find Enda's latest book, Journey to the Edge, in your local bookshop now. The next episode of Inside Books will be out soon. Just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. The handle is at InsideBooksIRE. And if you want to hear other episodes, just search for us on the various audio platforms and don't forget to leave us a rating or review. I'm Breda Brown. Until next time, keep reading. Inside Books is a unique media production 